0: Welcome to the archives of Radio Curious, as we listen to a program originally broadcast in May of 1997. I'm Barry Vogel. Some people's memories of President Richard Nixon are due in part to his negative role in escalating the Vietnam War, the student demonstrations at Kent State University, and Nixon's ultimate downfall in Watergate. But who was the man, and how could another individual get close to him? Crazy Rhythm, My Journey from Brooklyn, Jazz, and Wall Street to Nixon's White House, Watergate, and Beyond is a story written by a complex man very close to Richard Nixon. Attorney Leonard Garment was born to Jewish immigrant parents in New York in 1924. Playing music, especially saxophone jazz, he grew up in Brooklyn. As a good student and with what he describes an ambition to run things, Garment finished law school in his early twenties and began working for a major Wall Street law firm. Even though at times he characterized himself as a liberal Democrat, Garment became a close friend and law partner with Richard Nixon, and later became the attorney for and the counsel to President Richard Nixon. During the time Nixon was embroiled, in the throes of Watergate. I want to begin in in the introduction you say that uh, our ways, Nixon's and mine, of adapting inner need to outer circumstances had enough resonance to bring us together. Mm -hmm. What was your inner need?
1: Well the inner need was the inner need of uh a lot of immigrant kids um, uh, of my sort, uh, that is, the the children of the immigrants from Russia and Poland uh, running around the streets of Brooklyn. And the inner need was to find a role, to find an identity, to uh, um, fulfill our parents' ambitions for us.
0: Uh, but that's your climb, plan. Climb
1: the pole, climb the ladder, and be uh, there. To, New York was there shining across the East River, the city for conquest. And so that was kind of an inner need was uh, was that of uh, of a, of a uh, essentially an assimilated identity. And uh, at and, that point, and, uh, Nixon... Um,
0: his inner need? His own
1: problems of that sort. His, his own inner need was to... Uh, reestablish himself as a as a possible candidate for the presidency to get himself into a, a new a new venue where he could uh, practice law at least uh, superficially. well uh, oh, I think with uh, the determination to to do his job, but also to uh, prepare another base camp for for still another assault on uh, yeah. the uh, Mount yeah. Everest of American politics, namely the presidency.
0: In otherwise, um, had,
1: we both had. We both had uh, mountains to uh, uh, to scale in a way, and both of us, I think, we needed the distraction of competitive activity to avoid problems of of depression. Simple as that.
0: In um, in the book uh, where you talk about the time that you spent in uh, the Nixon White House uh, in the year or so prior to his resignation, uh, was there ever a point where? You felt uh, a real obligation that uh, you either pushed aside or pursued to investigate the reliable reports uh, that you heard about Nixon that would affect you, like the tapes and the 18-and-a-half-minute gap. You were there no, as no. Nixon's advocate. All of these
1: things, were, they were being investigated. But, uh, by several hundred uh, uh, lawyers and uh, well, I know that.
0: But you were Nixon's lawyer, and you were the person who spoke for him or provided him advice. And as an attorney, I find that to give the good advice, you have to know the truth. Otherwise, you have but, one hand well that was strapped that was behind the, your back.
1: Barry, that was the that was Barry. That was the heart of the problem, which is that um, uh, he ran his own case, uh, and he was dealing with it from uh, from the beginning. Um the uh, June, 25 years ago, June of 1972, uh, right, pretty much the end as uh, as a political problem that over which he would preside, and he would give he'd give out those pieces of information that he felt he could uh, make available to lawyers, so-called lawyers around him, and other people, um, without giving too much away. He knew, I think, that if he permitted us to have Access to everything that m- most of us—that is, I, Fred bazaar some of the other lawyers—just would not be able to uh, stay in the White House. So he kept that to himself, and he felt that if he if he lasted long enough, if he could get past uh, oh, the fall of 1974, the midterm elections, he probably could uh, he probably could sweat it out to the end. But. Didn't do it because the Congress uh, decided to accelerate things, and then there was Deep Throat and all of that business.
0: Who was Deep Throat? Do you have any ideas?
1: Well, I have I have some ideas, but you know that's that's an area in which I I, I think it's. I
0: uh, mean, you you say there's but maybe it's worse
1: than pointless to speculate about people. Everybody's been doing that for years. Sure. And, uh
0: You say there was one, and maybe there were many Deep Throats.
1: Well, I think my general uh, take on this is that uh, there was a there were several, uh, there more, there's more than one um, uh, person in the Deep Throat Chorus, and that there was a, there was a Pavarotti or a Lawrence Melchior who was belting out the, the principal songs and the main lines uh, for the uh, for Washington Post, for uh, Woodward and Bernstein. Well, what uh, who that person, opened, say one or two people, were each say, working collaboratively and developing the so-called persona of Deep Throat uh, may have been is something that um, I haven't given up pursuing. And as a matter of fact, a a very fellow who knows a lot about all of this material and I may be uh, be doing a little addition to my book uh, within the next year or so, if we're satisfied that we have uh, determined um, beyond a reasonable doubt who it is, or who they are, or who she is. (laughs)
0: And, and subject yourself to a potential libel case.
1: <laughs> that for, uh, so uh, don't spend your money on Crazy Rhythm. Wait for another year or two and, and read Throat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I want to ask you um, about—at y- one point in the book, you talk about how you were dispensing hopeless answers to an unanswerable press— how does that make you feel when you're standing there as the lawyer for the oh, president I've, of the United States, I've done that. I've, doing that?
1: I've done that a lot of times as a lawyer. I mean, in the years I tried cases, I was giving fairly—I'd be giving hopeless, making fairly hopeless arguments to an unresponsive court.
0: But that's different when you're talking to an unresponsive court. Here, you're speaking. The
1: court does. The court, even an appellate court, doesn't yell at you the way uh, 110 White House press people were during the time saying, "Man, what's all the BS? How, you da- how can you?" And why don't you level with us? Well, you know, I always, I figured as a lawyer that if you get some, if objectively, if people um, are, um, uh, uh, start doing a lot of shouting, that in a way you may be performing your, your lawyerly function. They're losing, they're losing their cool and I didn't. Uh, so that was just part of the, That was, a, that was the easy part of the job.
0: Did you know the answers to the questions they were asking when they say, how come you're not telling us?
1: no i didn't for the most part, and that's what I was trying to say and that's what they found very unsatisfactory this was a uh, the one of the big press conference went off i don't know two and a half hours it was broadcast all over the white House on the white House uh, broadcasting system and uh, it was the uh, the day of the release that we released so called may twenty second statement by the president in which he uh he revealed a lot of things but uh, and, uh, essentially maintained that he uh, was not involved and didn't know the crucial things. And, uh, but he did reveal, he revealed the uh, Ellsberg uh, break-in, uh, the, 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 not the Ellsberg, it was the break-in The break-in well,
0: of doc, doc Dr. Fielding's to, I mean, Dr. Fielding's
1: office. Dr. Fielding's office and various other things and mail, the whole uh, Houston plan involving mail covers and so on and so forth.
0: Were you aware of the- Basically,
1: I said, well, you know, there are a lot of these things that have been done uh, for the past 20 years by other administrations, uh, FBI stopped doing them. The administration started to consider doing it after the, after the Ellsberg um, um, leak of, uh, massive leak of the Pentagon Papers and all of that, and uh, it didn't go forward. Um, then they'd ask other questions and say, well, why don't you know? Tell us about this. And I said, I just don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to find out. It's a uh, it's a wonderful uh, a mystery that's in progress, and I'm just one of the persons trying to... Yeah. You see, I knew a lot of the press people, and the, they did a lot of shouting and screaming. I think... Uh,
0: that was their yeah, Members of the
1: press b- believed me when I said I didn't know. But well, I had to do a lot of shouting and screaming, because they were understandably frustrated uh, with my inability to give them satisfactory, newsy uh, sound. Sure.
0: At, at what and, point in time were you aware of the plumber's break-in into Dr. Fielding's office? Who He was the psychiatrist right. for Daniel Ellsberg. Heard about,
1: yeah, I heard about that shortly before it became public. Uh,
0: but after the break-in? After it occurred?
1: After the <laughs> Well, if you had me saying otherwise, uh, no, I'd know, i have to run and check the statute of limits. Oh,
0: it's long past.
1: Yeah, it's... no, it's all right. You can ask anything you want. Uh, no, it was after, and I don't know. It was sort of... A lot of these things were so strange. Um, I've written about all of that in this book, partly why I call it crazy rhythm, and I've tried to, I think... Uh, well, the, the reviewers uh, from uh, from the you know, East Coast to the West Coast have been very generous, and... Uh, including a lot of reviews who, who wouldn't give you the time of day for Richard Nixon. But you know, I sure. think I find it's interesting and sort of tries to stay—
0: Well, let's stay— with, fairly. Let's stay with— a, um, I mean, the, you have
1: to—you've invited me to be on the show, so you must feel that it's, uh, it's not a lot of baloney.
0: Well, I listen to all of this stuff. I remember it very vividly on yeah. television and on the yeah. radio. And that, uh, it,
1: There's never been—there's never been anything like it. And, yeah. uh, I guess we want to—maybe—I mean, one would say abstractly we hope there will never be one anything like it again except that that is not at all what uh, most people most people would just love to have that wonderful distraction of another watergate
0: well Lynn Garmin I have a combination
1: uh, of uh, of of insanity crazy characters you lots of witches and a fellow with a uh, a uh, trolley conductor's uh, machine on his belt for for a quarter for coins to make Tony
0: Lassowitz.
1: Yeah, to, for, to cover up phone calls. He had. to make so many that that he had a a, a trolley conductor's uh, uh, coin coin dispenser on his belt. I mean, that's riotous. Yeah, it's guys and dolls.
0: Yeah. Len Garment, I want to ask you uh, about Ellsberg uh, a little more, but first first I want to say, however, that my guest Uh. this week is Leonard Garment, who is an attorney now in Washington uh, practicing public policy uh, law, and he's the author of a new book called Crazy Rhythm, and about 25 years ago, he was the uh, White House attorney for Richard Nixon. Let's talk about um, Dan Ellsberg. Ellsberg tells us on Radio Curious that uh, he wishes that he had released, or that the Pentagon papers had been released uh, five or six years earlier than they actually were.
1: Well, this is, may offend you, and it may offend a lot of your viewers, but I, you, know, you want me to come on, and, uh, and one of the curious things about me, I suppose, is that I, I try to say what I think. In, That's
0: why we want you on here. In, in
1: decent uh, language, uh, but straightforwardly. I mean, I think Ellsberg is a colossal ass and uh, that he was a colossal, colossally disloyal person. Why? When he did what he did. It was not for him to uh, determine what the law was. And it it is, I suppose, there are are whistleblowers who have done very good things in this country in connection with uh, environmental disasters and connection with uh, racial misbehavior of a serious nature
0: but who would determine who the law is <laughs> if it wasn't a person who would uh, release the papers as he did
1: all uh, right I you know when I when I, you know, I used language of that sort uh, Barry, it, it is with uh, a certain amount of uh, of uh, premeditation uh, and that's it, it's, that's fairly mild um, I don't think the country is yet absorbed the full complexity of those years uh and the whole terrible uh, bloodletting the the in in almost insane stupidity of the engagement in uh, Vietnam uh on the terms in which uh, we engaged with uh, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong which was to Do it piecemeal and force them into some kind of compromise, uh, and to reveal to them that we were not determined to win the war, and sacrificing uh, so much, uh, so much treasure, and uh, and um, and more important, and so many lives.
0: What should we have done?
1: Well, I think we should have gotten. I think. Well, I, I, first of all, I don't think we should have gotten in on the basis in which, first Kennedy, then Johnson. Uh, uh, drag the country into that war with McNamara still defending himself. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that people would would uh, permit him to uh, continue as as a member of the American elite uh, and write books and, and uh, attend uh, book parties in his honor. I mean, I just I can't I can't tolerate. I mean, I just can't stomach all of that. It's so phony and hypocritical. All right, a lot of things that were done then just were not understood by people. Johnson, we know now, knew in 65, 64, 65, the war was unwinnable. But for political reasons, he told his the leadership. It's all it's on tape uh, by Johnson that he he couldn't end it. So they went on and they went on and there was just the killing time. And finally, by 68, he couldn't bear it anymore. And it's when he he bailed out. <coughs> and uh, Nixon made what. History showed to be Nixon and Kissinger made the fatal error of deciding that they would undertake a a massive strategic retreat, slow and steady, and uh, uh, thinking that they could do it within a year uh, in a contained period of time. Um, That is, to withdraw from Vietnam uh, gradually while maintaining the tension of, uh, of the negotiating position with uh, the Soviet Union, and preparing the way for the opening to China to uh, struggle in the Middle East to start some process going there, dealing with uh, an international mafioso of uh, very hard-nosed, cold-eyed, brutal uh, leaders. And so Nixon and Kissinger decided that, that this is the way they would do it, and they fell into this uh, fatal trap, because it didn't go on for one year. It went on for two years and three years, and more and more people became enraged at the continuing loss of life and, and uh, the, the, the interior damage within the country, and more and more shouting and screaming. And, of course, along uh, came Ellsberg, who, of course, was uh, a Green Beret. I mean, he himself was... Uh, I mean, it, it is alleged by people that he performed some fairly uh, tough, and uh, uh, perhaps even brutal acts against the Viet Cong uh, uh, when he was uh, over there.
0: Have you asked him about this?
1: Well, I've, I made my views known to him very clearly. He knows that. What's he
0: respond? What's he say?
1: His response is that uh, you know he has his own view. He's now running, you know, in the nuclear group. I mean, this—his whole life is now, is now um, built around the, the his drop of of the of the Pentagon Papers, and uh, Nixon and Kissinger made the terrible mistake that led straight to to Watergate, which was to uh, fight the papers. Nixon and Kissinger became enraged by that leak. That's what led to the creation of the Plumbers to, to repair such leaks. Plumbers included a couple of, uh, uh, shall we say, slightly uh, strange and irresponsible people. Charles Colson took the president's uh, anger and uh, angry orders very literally, and um, and and off they went, for which Nixon was responsible. And uh, he bought uh, into uh, the very the very bitter wind uh, of uh, Watergate wars, and uh, that's that's what brought about the destruction of his presidency.
0: When Nixon... There are a lot of other
1: factors, but uh, sure. that's you know, sort sure. of a simple uh, <laughs> overall version of what took place. Now Ellsberg is still going around, like you know I am I am the law, I am above the law, uh, Daniel Ellsberg. I wish I had done it sooner, uh, and this is it is a kind of a you know it's, it's a not unfamiliar in my my belief. This is. Uh, my belief and the belief of others is, is kind of a, it's almost a megalomania to feel that uh, he could have controlled the, the universe of uh, life and death in Vietnam by blowing the whistle sooner in some way.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you something this, that you just mentioned about uh, Colson.
1: This is one of the most self-righteous men I have ever met in my life. And uh, there's a great old Irwin Shaw short story called The 80 Yard Run man who, who ran 80 yards when, in the first year of college for a touchdown and for the next 35 years lived with that experience and that's that's Daniel Ellsman.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I, I want to move on and ask you something that you said about Charles Colson uh, a minute ago and that's when you said that he took uh, Richard Nixon's angry orders literally. When Nixon gave those orders, uh, was that uh, something that he consciously thought out and plotted, being the crafty oh, politician, or was it a reaction to something right. that was happening? Right.
1: No, there is a mixture. I mean, there are some things that that Nixon had uh, wanted done, consciously, coolly, coldly, in, pol- in terms of politics. You know, let's get those guys that are opposed to us. I mean, why, why, why are those people getting all the money? Uh, they're our enemies, and they're screwing us. Why don't we screw them back? You know, that's. Uh, that's ordinary political stuff on the inside. Don't, you don't say it publicly. Yeah. You don't release tapes.
0: <laughs> right. But he eventually yep. did because he had to.
1: Well, you know, imagine uh, releasing tapes of uh, uh, America's uh, nighttime conversations uh, at home, in bed, uh, at a party, after a couple of drinks. Uh, sure. 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 No, it would be pretty loathsome and quite interesting and quite yeah. zany, but that's, you know, that's called freedom of association, freedom of thought, and it's the heart of, of the whole business of uh, of First Amendment. Yeah. Uh, freedom. Yeah. But, you know, put those things on tape. If you do, you—, <laughs> you
0: got to be careful. Trump. i got another question for you. Um, you imply, I think, and my question is, is it an implication, that you say that the nation would accept the idea of a pardon from the new president, President Ford, and then you, in parentheses, say which was wrong. Are you implying... Out to be wrong. It wrong. It did turn out to be wrong. Well, it
1: turned out to be wrong that they would accept it. I, you know, yes. I think it's now almost uh, the conventional view that it was, uh, it was absolutely, it was one of, the, one of the wisest and, and most... Uh, prudential presidential act of uh, leadership by Jerry Ford.
0: Well, my question is... He would have
1: is, been a mess with a trial of, uh, of uh, Nixon. Uh, sure. For months, uh, paralyzing everyone and
0: everything. And you make that very clear in your book. Why uh, was I wrong? No, no. My question is, what message was sent to the American public when the highest leader of our nation is not held accountable for his acts?
1: Well, uh, the message that's sent... Is uh, is one that's easily uh, distorted. I mean, the message that was sent via the, uh, the makers of messages and uh, opinion and communication of uh, value judgments—that is, the media and the uh, the uh, again, our good old elite establishment—was that uh, no man is above the law. And uh, now, now that Nixon had uh, given up the presidency and relinquished the defense of uh, presidential uh, uh, privilege from trial. He should, he should be tried just like anybody else. Um, the, press w- the press was also, I mean, the, this was the attitude of a lot of the press people who hated Nixon and really wanted to see him die. Uh, they didn't just want him to see him, they wanted him to re- retire. They really wanted to see him uh, fry <laughs> in Mazzola oil. Who's this? A lot of the press people. I mean, and then people on the uh, on the intellectual left in in good old New York and Washington. It was not enough that Nixon was disgraced and that he resigned. They wanted to, to have him tried. And they wanted all of his ideas and his history uh, revoked, uh, abandoned, destroyed, redacted, expunged from the record of history. And that's what they were disappointed by. When, when, when Ford said, I'm, I'm pardoning this, this fellow using the pardon power. That
0: yeah, in selection of Ford, Ford as the replacement to Vice President Agnew, was there any Barry, discussion of Barry, this?
1: Barry, yeah. you got to let me finish a sentence.
0: All right, I thought I did.
1: No, no, I, was, I said, that's why the, president, the, the pardon power exists. The exercise, in order to spare the country, something that is more terrible than. Uh, a, a, a particular wrongdoer going free. Lincoln did it in a way that, of course, history now considers one of his wisest acts when he pardoned. When he pardoned the uh, ex-Party Milligan, uh, the exercised and was determined by the Supreme Court. The president had the power to pardon all of the of, con, of the Confederate uh, soldiers and leaders who had uh, performed uh, acted treasonously. If he didn't do yeah. that the country would be back having another civil war that's right and the uh, ford pardoned nixon because uh, and he bit that bullet because he knew that if nixon was transported around in effect like a, a freak in a cage or in a courtroom or through all of the savage battling and screaming and yelling uh, between left and right and republicans and democrats that'd be a very horrible thing for the country
0: was there any discussion with Ford about this issue before he was appointed to replace Spiro Agnew?
1: Not that I know of, certainly not by me, and I've never heard that it was, uh, that it was, it was even broached in the slightest mm-hmm. way by anyone.
0: Well, Lynn Garment, I've uh, never ta-
1: even heard that suggested by anybody. By well, people who've suggested everything.
0: Yeah, I'm not suggesting it. I'm just I, asking. I understand. Um, Lynn Garment, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. I enjoyed and it time, very much. Time flies by, but before we close, I want to ask you the question I ask all of our guests at the sure. end of a program, and that is, would you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you three very quickly. Uh, two domestic and one, one foreign. Read them over one glorious four-day weekend uh, when I just, uh, just stayed in the house and got to bed to rest up from this book tour. Um, Philip Roth's American Pastoral, a uh, wonderful coming together of uh, American history and a uh, creative uh, writer's uh, life and work second american book uh, absolutely superb novella by uh, uh by Saul Bellow called The Actual 104 pages of condensed wisdom and uh and prose poetry uh with the 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 Bolovian voice uh floating over you but third would be um um well let me go to the foreign uh, I haven't finished the third one yet. That's uh, that's also fine. But the the third would be a novel. Um, the third is the, all three are novels. The, the third one is a it's an older novel by a uh, Czech writer uh, named Rabel H R A B L Rabel, and uh, I think it's a vintage book uh, paperback. And uh, it's called I Serve the King of England.
0: Well, thanks for joining us,
1: Len. Barry, and and thanks for letting me uh, just uh, uh, blow away.
0: Attorney Leonard Garment is the author of Crazy Rhythm, My Journey from Brooklyn, Jazz, and Wall Street to Nixon's White House, Watergate, and beyond. The books that he recommends are American Pastoral by Philip Roth, the Actual by Saul Bellow and I Serve the King of England by a Czech writer whose last name is Rabel, H-R-A-E-L. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website RadioCurious.org and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress we appreciate your cards ideas and letters and do enjoy hearing from you the email is Curious at RadioCurious.org the postal address is 700 West Smith Street Ukiah, California 95482